Welcome to the Imago Day Eastside Podcast. So I'll be coming from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2 through 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2 through 10. Amen. I'm very excited for this, this passage. This is Paul writing. You may remember. And he says this, I know a man in Christ who was caught up into the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether he was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. I know that this man, again, whether or not he was in the body, I don't know. God knows. I know that this man was caught up into paradise. He heard inexpressible words, which a man is not allowed to speak. I will boast about this person, but not about myself, except of my weaknesses. For I want to boast... So excuse me, for if I want to boast, I will not be a fool because I will be telling the truth. But I will spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. My Lord. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and in pressures because of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That passage always makes me shudder. I take uh, 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 gladness and I boast in these things. I'm like, well, brother, you can have mine <laughs> as well if that makes you so happy. But as we inch through 2023, this new year, right? Uh, a host of us will have certain plans, and we call these plans New Year resolutions. You know what I'm talking about? Like, maybe yours is like mine. Like, I want to lose a little more weight. I've been blaming my weight on COVID, but I had it before COVID. <laughs> have you done that too? Talking about some COVID weight. Now, you know good and well, but you know... <laughs> But the goal, you know, is I, would, I need to quit drinking, and I brought apple juice. I will after a while. Quit drinking too much sugar and eating sweets and whatnot. But perhaps your resolution is to save more money or to spend more time with your family um, or to read more or to write more or work on that project you've been holding on to for years. Maybe that's your resolution. And I think these are good things. I think these are very good things to keep in mind and very good things to, to do. However, I do want to caution us this morning. I want to caution us, and I want to take as our theme, addicted to perfection. Addicted to perfection. And I want to define perfection in this context from this passage as the eradication of your thorns. By perfection, I mean the eradication of your thorns. Addicted to perfection. You see, we humans, Paul not excluded, have in our broken humanity the default function of reaching for perfection. Now, in most cases, this is not a bad thing. It's, it's a good one, right? Which occupation are you aware of 
uh, that, you know, doing bad is good for you. No, you want to be the best plumber you can be, or musician, or engineer, or teacher, right? Unless you're a meteorologist, then I guess you still get paid whether you're right or wrong. But I'm kidding. I don't want to, if you are a meteorologist, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But everybody wants to strive to be the best, right? But when it comes down to it, though we may be able to perform well, we oftentimes think that if we're able to get rid of our blemishes, we can reach perfection. Oftentimes, the goal of you trying to get rid of your thorns is to perfect yourself, addicted to perfection. Let us observe our text today. Looking at this passage, you'll see that most scholars harp on the thorns. They speculate about, is this thorn, you know, Paul's eye issue that we find in Acts? You know, he has this eye situation or another ailment, or maybe his issue is this, that, and the other. And, and that much ink has been spilled on what Paul's thorn is. But I believe these theologians or these Bible scholars sometimes miss the main picture. The passage isn't about Paul's thorn It's about God's response. It's about God's response. Paul, like us, is addicted to perfection in the beginning of this passage. Paul seems to think or seems to be under the impression that, Lord, if you just remove this thorn, I'll be a more effective apostle. I'll be a more effective teacher. I'd be a more effective minister. I'd be more effective at what I do. And some of you in here, I know because I have the same struggles. Lord, if you just get rid of certain thorns that I have, I'd be better Christian. I'd be a better preacher, a better father, a better husband. But that is not what God is trying to teach us here. And then Paul, I love Paul, that when God gives his answer that his grace is sufficient, Paul then says, well, the Lord, I'm grateful for the thorns. Not because the thorns are good. No, no, no. Because by the thorns, God's power is set free. It's like a hungry lion strapped up and hooked up in a cage. And our weaknesses in Jesus is, and our weaknesses in Jesus releases this lion, this fury, the power of God. Isn't that amazing? So what does this show us? It shows us that God, the creator of the universe, the one who taught the fish how to swim, the one who taught the birds how to fly, think about that, the one who taught the stars how to shine, and the God who hung the moon in orbit without string and energizes the sun without a Duracell battery, this God, this God is not interested in perfect people. Unlike the claims of some of the preachers today, our God is interested in old, regular, broken folk. My brothers and sisters, we all have thorns to reckon with, and you know them. And the solution is not found in perfection. The solution is not found in trying to get rid of all of your thorns, but it is found in leaning into our weaknesses in Jesus. It's paradoxical. Whether you're Christ, whether you're in Christ, or whether you're in the world, this, is just, this isn't just a Christian message. This is to all of humanity. We are a thorny bunch. But God is a good pruner, is he not? 
Now, for those of us in Christ, I do want to be clear that when you come to Christ or when you came to Christ or as you're in Christ, the Lord does remove these thorns in the process of sanctification. That does happen, and we praise God for those moments when he does so as you're progressing in the Lord. But, but there are those times when the thorns left behind are the ones you want removed most. You may want them gone so bad that you cry at night in prayer, but you receive no answer. You might even fast and read your Bible and go to Bible study, get rid of old habits, and find out when you're put in a situation when you're traumatized again, that thorn rises up. Or you may have been going through life believing the thorn has been removed, but then a situation or event happens in life and it rises back up again. What are we to do? You might even reason that you're inadequate in ministry or you're an inadequate husband or you're inadequate in this, that, and the other because of your thorns, thinking that no one will accept you. Not the you that you bring to church, but the you that you have to deal with when you're by yourself. But I wanted to stop by here this morning to encourage you that all of God loves you. All of God knows who you are, and all of God adores you no matter what thorn you're dealing with. All of God is for you. Do not despise your thorn, for it will be your greatest teacher. Did you know this? Do not despise your thorns, for they will be your major professors. Do not despise your thorns, for they will inevitably be your greatest victories. I want to take this time to read a a poem I came across that I thought was so powerful. And the poem goes like this. I asked God to take away my pain. God said, no, it is not for me to take away, but for you to give it up. I asked God to make my handicapped child whole. God said, no, her spirit was whole, but this body right here is only temporary. I asked God to grant me patience. God said, no, patience is a byproduct of tribulations. It isn't granted, it is earned. I asked God to give me happiness. God said, no, I give you blessings. Happiness is up to you. I asked God to spare me pain. God said, no, suffering draws you apart from worldly cares and brings you closer to me. I asked God to make my spirit grow. God said, no, you must grow on your own, but I will prune you to make you fruitful. I asked God for all things that I might enjoy life. God said, no, I will give you life so that you may enjoy all things. I asked God to help me love others as much as he loves me. God said, ah, finally, you have the idea. Isn't that amazing? My brothers and sisters, know this. You cannot make yourself perfect. You cannot eradicate your thorns. You cannot get rid of your sister's thorns either. But in the depth of your weakness, God's power in you is made strong. Are you catching what the Lord is trying to teach? I think Paul is teaching clearly in this passage. Much like a light shines brighter in the darkness, so do you reflect God more in your weakness. 
Because the greater the thorn, the greater the grace. The greater the thorn, the greater the grace. What an odd God we serve who prefers to use even, uh, excuse me, who prefers to use us even though we are broken. What an odd God that is, isn't it? I have tried to find in the disciplines of science and physics and mathematics and computer science and and, uh, tomes of literature, where in the world would you find such a paradox of weakness making the thing in question stronger? The weakness making the thing in question stronger. And at the present time, anyway, I, I have not found one. And I'm convinced because there isn't one but the gospel itself. Think about it. If you had a pot, you know, or a pitcher or something that had a hole in it, and it doesn't work, it doesn't function, what you do, you throw it out. You don't use it, right? If you had a car battery that didn't have its charge, right, what you would do is you would toss it out because it renders itself useless. Or if you had shoes with holes in them, I'm not talking about your holy shoes. I know we got some shouters in the house. Or the shoes you bring to church. I'm talking about the shoes with holes in them. Okay, the soles ain't good. Okay. You would toss them or get them resold, right? Or a house with a leaking roof or a car without brakes or a fireplace that could produce no heat. You would at least try to fix these things, but you would never dare to use these items thinking that somehow these weaknesses would produce its, its effectiveness. I'll say that again. I'll say that again. You would never use something that is broken thinking that somehow its uh, its deformity or its weakness would produce its effectiveness. What weakness produces effectiveness? And the greater the weakness, the greater the effectiveness, what in the world is this? This is why God is so baffling, or at least one of the reasons that God is so baffling, is that he uses people far more broken than household items. But God is not addicted to perfection as we define it. And where we miss the mark, we have this lifeline called grace. As Paul had reminded us, or rather what the Lord told Paul, his grace is sufficient. Now this grace isn't anything that we deserve. It is freely given. It is the grace that enables God. It is the grace that enables God to look past our thorns. It's not some petty, weak grace. Some, some, some of the graces I've heard the preachers speak about that was no deeper than a puddle. Uh, the grace that some preachers preach about that's no better than a leaking faucet. The grace that God gives us is a vast ocean. The depths unmeasurable. What does it mean for his grace to be sufficient? It means it will never run out. It is an infinite well that would never run dry. Are you able to drink up the ocean? Then you could never exhaust God's grace. Now, if you're like me, you want some evidence. Because you say to yourself, you don't know my thorns. You don't know the blemishes that I have, the secrets that I hold, the the dark crevices of my soul that even I run from. God's grace, is that enough for me? 
How do you know his grace won't run out on me? Well, that's a good question. And so let us walk through what I like to call the hall of grace. You know, Hebrews 11 has the hall of faith. I just made this up and called it the hall of grace. And so let me give you a little bit of evidence of why God's grace will never run out. In other words, why God's grace is sufficient. Walk with me here for just a little while. If you remember in Genesis 1, or in Genesis 1 through 3, we have Adam and Eve, and God told them that you cannot eat of this tree. They ate it, and they were deserving of death. But instead of God killing them, remember what he did? He slayed an animal, clothed them, and then kicked them out of the garden, letting them live out their life with hopes that they'll turn back to him. God's grace is sufficient. But what about Noah and the ark? told that he was supposed to build this thing, being ridiculed by his neighbors and friends, wondering what is the matter with this individual? And so he begins to build in a dry land, wondering this guy is crazy and nuts. Oh, but then the Bible says the rain fell and the waters came up and there were eight people that were saved with two of each kind. God's grace is sufficient. But what about Moses in the Red Sea? As they're beginning to run from Pharaoh, and all of the chariots and armies are coming, and then they're blocked by the sea. Death on one side, death on the other. I love what the Bible says. It said, and the sea parted, not on damp land, but then it became dry land. God's grace is sufficient. Or what about Joshua on the battle of Jericho when they won with trumpets? Or what about Gideon who went from 22,000 men to 300 men but still won the army? What about Jeremiah in the pit of despair? God's grace is sufficient. What about Elijah who looked up and seen a cloud the size of a man's hand where there shall be water? God's grace is sufficient. One of my favorite, one of my favorite stories is with the widow who had just enough cornmeal, is what I call it, to make her last meal. And the prophet came, and he was hungry. You remember the story in Kings. And he said, ma'am, I'm hungry. She said, well, I don't have much. I don't have much. This is what she said to him. She said, as the Lord your God lives, I don't have anything baked only a handful of flour in the jar and a bit of oil in the jug. Just now, I am gathering a couple sticks in order to go prepare it for myself and my son so we can eat it and die. My God. Oh, but when she began to pour that cornmeal out and make some cornbread, she discovered that that jar was never empty. It replenished over and over and over and over and over again. God's grace is sufficient. And if I may summarize it all, all of the prophets and apostles and teachers and all of the teaching of the Bible that has transformed people after generation after generation, God's grace is sufficient. Now, for the skeptic, I do hope I provided you enough evidence. But if you're dissatisfied on the matter, one could go on forever and ever talking about how God's grace never ran out. Now, my brothers and sisters, though impressive, though this is impressive, these acts of grace were just the opening acts. Did you know that? These were just the opening acts. The main attraction was yet to come. And I know that some of you know what I'm talking about, especially this year. Some call him Emmanuel or Prince of Peace. 
or the firstborn of all creation, or the Logos, or the Son of God. Some of you may call him my friend, my healer, my redeemer, the one who took me out of mess and brought me out, the one who helped me get off of the stuff I was doing. You may know him personally, but if you don't happen to know him by these names, you can call him Jesus. <laughs> Y'all so silly. You can call him Jesus. It was this Jesus who came down as God in the flesh to die for our sins. Jesus Christ did not come to take away your thorns. He came to become them. Jesus Christ became everything that you were and laid on that cross and said, Father, why have you forsaken me so that you would never be forsaken again in Jesus? Do you understand the power of God? This is not by works of perfection, but it's by Jesus' death alone. Did you know that even if you were able to remove your thorns, you'd still be broken? The world has deceived us in thinking that by removing our blemishes, we achieve perfection. But they are wrong. They are wrong. The reason that by removing your thorns wouldn't, well, the reason that by removing your thorns you still be left broken is because our thorns do not make us broken. Our brokenness makes our thorns. Our thorns are not what make us broken. Our brokenness is the cause of our thorns. But the world is so convinced that we are made up so perfect and good, and along the way we get tarnished. No, no, no. You were born in iniquity, shaped and formed in this culture of lascivious living and gluttony and consumeristic ideologies that even affect those who preach and teach. These issues that you have are the production of your soul. Jesus said, it's not the mouth that defiles the man. Excuse me, it's not what goes in the mouth that defiles the man. It's what comes out. So my brothers and sisters, I just want to encourage you that no matter what your thorn is, whether your thorn is addiction to alcohol or greed, or if your thorn is your marriage, or if your thorn is homosexuality, or if it's pride, or if you're a workaholic, or if you hate people, or you're full of lust, whatever your thorn might be, know that Jesus is sufficient for you. That God's grace is sufficient for you. Let us no longer be addicted to this fake view of perfection. Think about it. Your New Year resolutions are a good thing, but what is the goal? Do you think by it you will be sanctified? Do you think by it you'll become more like Christ? Do you not know that it is in Christ that he is the one who prunes and grows you and helps you to see who he is so that the world may read you and know that you are like Christ? You cannot be transformed by your own hands. Can a pot make itself? Can a dish cook itself? I can't cook, but I sure would like that. A good pot roast. Put the pot roast in the thing and say, cook. <laughs> How foolish would God be to take you in all your brokenness and say, grow. The Holy Spirit is with you. You need the Holy Spirit. So in my closing, uh, the worship team, you can join me here. 
Didn't have much for you this morning, but I pray this was encouraging. Yes, Lord, thank you. In my, in my closing, I want to speak to the non-believers or the people on the fence of believing, you know who you are, that if you have not come to Christ on account of unperfected thorns, that is, you say, man, I'm going to get myself together first. Man, I've got to stop doing this real quick. You know, I'm going to get this thing done, and then I'm going to come to church, and then I'm going to get my life together. If that has prevented you from coming to Christ, just know that God's grace is sufficient for you, that you are more than good enough to accept Jesus. And I want to promise you this. A life lived with Jesus, though it is not free from trouble, it's full of meaning, purpose, and direction. I hear a lot of these New Year's sermons going around, and it's all about, oh, you're going to have a good life. It's going to be a better year than last year. You're going to be wonderful. Jesus never promised us that we'd be free from trials and tribulations. He never promised us that we'd be free from trials and tribulations. But he did promise us that we would be full of meaning, purpose, and direction. Sometimes suffering comes with that. And that's why we have a family of believers to walk alongside us. I wish I could promise all of you the benefits of next year and what's going to happen. And I'm sure many good things will happen. But the fact is, Lord have mercy, no one could have predicted COVID-19. But God's grace was sufficient then, and it is sufficient now. And all of us, and all of those who have come to know the Lord, but have found themselves more addicted to perfection than Jesus in their walk, I just want to encourage you that your thorns are what God uses in your ministry. When you lean into Jesus, even though you don't feel like you're worthy or you don't feel like you're making it, God is using you. Because you can't be perfect. It's not possible to be perfect on this side of glory. If you're waiting for that, you'll just have to wait till the Lord comes back. And so live your life in Jesus to the fullest, blemishes and all, and see what God will do through you. I don't have time to go through all of the situations, but Moses was a murderer. And he was used by God. David was a murderer, a womanizer, an abuser of women. God still used him. God will use you no matter what as you lean into Jesus. I want to be clear, what I'm not saying, what I am not saying is get rid of your New Year resolutions. That's not the message today. I hope that's not what you got from this. I'm not saying to quit trying to better yourself or your profession or seek out good things. That's not what I'm saying. I think those are good things. You should pursue those things. What I am saying is that let this season and forevermore move from this attempt to rob God of his grace by trying to make yourself perfect. For this only God can do. And let us all fall more in love with Jesus because since while we were yet sinners, Christ gave everything up for us. Would you give your life for someone you didn't know? I don't think so. Or at least I wouldn't anyhow. Would you give your life for someone you thought was worth nothing? God had far more to lose than you have to gain. That's right. 
God had far more to lose than we had to gain. And he said, I'm going to give them everything. I can imagine in heaven if you can just spend this proverbial courtroom as Jesus is getting ready to descend and humiliate himself down into the womb of a woman, even though he created her. I can imagine the, the, the host, the God of hosts saying, well, Jesus, wait, wait, wait a second. Look how they live. Look how they act. Are you going to think about it? Oh, I don't need to think about it. I love them. I'll give them everything. But wait a second. Remember what so-and-so did? What if they do that again? They're going to mock you. They're going to lie to you. They're going to treat you as dirt. Your own disciples won't even believe in you at times. And one of them will betray you. Oh, but I'm going down. And them saying, what kind of man is this that will descend into humanity to redeem them? That's the kind of God we serve. So... Um, as I take my seat, I want to do two things today. Um, prayer team, oh, you're already there. Wonderful. And I want to pray for some people as well. I want to pray for those who made it their New Year resolution to come back to church and stuff. I want to pray with you that you would be dedicated to Jesus. I don't care that you're dedicated to the church. God doesn't take attendance. He's not a substitute teacher. He wants your soul 24-7, not your attendance on Sunday. I want to pray for those who are trying to make church their thing. I want to pray that you dedicate your life to Jesus. I want to pray for those who are feeling an unction right now that you, you want to give your life to Jesus. Lean into that unction. I want you to try Jesus out. I want to pray for you that you'd give your life to him and watch what the Lord does. You're, you will not be free from trial and tribulation, but you will have meaning and purpose and direction. And lastly, I want to pray for those who are believers uh, those believers who, here who feel inadequate, who feel like their thorns would keep them from ministry or thorns keep them bogged down from doing what they want to do, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for freedom. I want you to drown in God's grace. I want you to be washed by his love, okay? So let, us, let me close this out in prayer, and then I'll stand up here for prayer for anyone who wants to get prayed for, and then we'll continue to worship. Dad, we thank you for your grace. It is sufficient. It will never run out. It continues to go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Lord, I thank you for without a second thought giving your whole life to us, saying, oh, I would love to give everything I have to these people. Lord, I thank you that you see us as broken, but you cover us with the blood so that when the Father sees us, we are seen blameless before you, Dad. I'm so grateful. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for this year that it does go well and that you do bless them. But Lord, most importantly, I pray that you prune us. I pray that you prune our character. I pray that you give us, help us to be people of integrity and lights in this dark endemming world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. There's this song that's so simple, and if you guys can catch it, It'll be wonderful. The words are so simple. It's about God's grace.